authenticity is the, mo- the most authentic we can be as a human being is to be authentic about our inauthenticity. And so why is that? Well, if I'm ashamed of my inauthenticity, then I won't embrace it. If I don't embrace it, it never gets integrated into my personality and therefore becomes an enemy. It's something that undermines me and I have no control over it because the more I resist it, the more power it has. The more I embrace it, the more it integrates and I can use it. So for instance, if I'm aware of my own criminality, I'm able to connect with and see a criminal coming down the road where and, and I can identify whether they're really open to transform or they're still, they're perping and I'm just another mark. Is shame an enemy to be defeated or an ally to be embraced? Interested in a fresh perspective on this universal emotion? Stay with us as we dive deeper. Hello, my friends. My name is Chad, and this is the Naked Leadership Podcast, High Stakes Conversations for Relentless Company Founders. My co-host and I have over six decades of combined experience in leadership coaching, and this podcast is where we explore it all. There is no conversation too risky. This week, Adrian, Dan, and I sat down, and we tried to come up with the most lighthearted, fun topic that we could think of. So we picked shame. (laughs) Ever toyed with the idea of turning your secret nemesis into an unexpected ally? We're about to fling open the doors of discomfort and invite in our least invited guest, Mr. Shame. Is this a horror show? No, it's a heist to reclaim your power. We're about to transmute the hush-hush into hallelujah. In this conversation, we cover shame as an ally. Most of the time, we see shame as something negative, a feeling that we should be suppressed or avoided. However, in this conversation, a unique idea was brought forward, suggesting that shame could actually be a gift, something for us to cherish. It's an indicator of what needs attention, and by addressing it, we can find growth and improvement. We also talk about the allure of secrecy reduces vitality. By hiding less and revealing more, even the aspects of ourselves we're ashamed of, we can increase our life's vibrancy and authenticity. Finally, we discuss hugging the cactus. Like hugging a cactus, facing our triggers or the things we're ashamed of can be painful, but it can also be transformative experience that allows us to turn our struggles into strengths. We also have a very special visit from Dr. Jordan Peterson in this conversation. Let's dive in. All right, let's dive in. Gentlemen, so good to be with you. Good to hey, be here. Good to be here too. Yeah. All three of us back together here on the podcast. Once again. I'm yep. so excited for what we have coming up. It's like we're we're st- we're going to reveal a very tiny piece of it right now. Going to give you a little bit of teaser about where we're going with a portion of the podcast. This is actually something that I have been as both of you know, it's something that's been rolling around in my brain for about a year and a half is how do we do this? We got together for two days last weekend and we just hashed it out and now we're ready to go. So uh, I'm really, really excited about I'm really excited about this and I'm excited to make this invitation to people. So basically what we're up to is that we're going to give people an opportunity to be coached for free by Dan or Adrian. And we're going to record the coaching session. And, and people can do this anonymously if, if that is what's best for them to feel comfortable doing this. And then we're actually going to publish the coaching calls on the podcast. One of the reasons... Dun, dun, dun. Dun, you know, I said to Dan, I said to Dan in our, in our marketing uh, intensive this past weekend, I said, look, it's, it feels like we've been doing the pre and post game shows yeah, on this I podcast. I've been using... Um, I've been using that ever since. <laughs> yeah. 
And now we're actually going to, we're going to broadcast the game for those who are brave enough and bold enough to come and be a gift, but also get a really uh, meaningful gift themselves of this opportunity to get coached. So I wanted to really quick check in with both. What are you guys most excited about with this? Well, I mean, we're going to be on our toes, which I love. And I think it's we're risky. Yeah. I think we're the best. We're our best when we're naturally in a conversation with somebody else in free fall, connecting with them about what matters to them and, and engaging as creatively as we can. I think that's, that's really what is our differentiator. How do you get that across? Well, it, I think the only way to do that is to reveal it. So you'll get a chance to see us fall on our face, get back up, go again. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. The key is the rate of motion. How quickly can you get back up? Yeah. Yeah. If nothing else, tune in for the failure, man. That's right. <laughs> you know what I, I like about it most is I know that, um, and I hear I hear feedback. All, we always hear feedback all the time with people that we work with um, around the wishing they could capture us in a training room or us on a coaching session. Like there's something, you know, I think we, we, we keep throwing ourselves and giving all we got to in order to kind of craft the principles that are involved in leadership and the, some of it being very tactical, some of it being very high level and, and then some of it being like philosophically satisfying, some of it being philosophically out of touch. And, and we're always in that kind of tension between how do we talk about this? And it's the words don't quite, they can't get to the heart of it while we're talking about it as theory. Yeah. And, you know, so to watch the thing in process, the messiness of it and the creativity of it and the exchange, because um, that's where the beauty comes out, period, is like in the art of the conversation. Um, mm. So anyway, I'm most excited to kind of because it's going to do a couple things. It's going to reveal the power of the conversation and the one that people are scared to death that they can't have and are certain they can't have. And it's also going to, you know, give people more access to how to come get the conversation, how to come taste and see. And so it'll 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 clear the field really quickly about who really wants to dance like we dance and who doesn't, which is great. And yeah. maybe you just like the kind of theoretical thing, which is great. And, you know, as you get to see us in action, uh, some folks are going to say, oh, wow, that's what I've been looking for. And I didn't know I was looking for it. So to be in order to serve more people and engage people in a really high ROI way. That's what, you know, gets me most excited. And I, I do think where we talked about, we're going to do a little post game afterwards and look at them, commentate about, you know, what opened up, what what were we thinking? Yeah, that's story, right. That kind of thing. So it'll be a chance to really open the kimono where, you know, more, rather than talk about in reflection, we can say, oh, you see that there? You know, oh, I made a mistake there. This is how I recovered. You know, yeah. I could tell it was a mistake because the person got up and left. <laughs> the next day they said fuck you dan <laughs> and maybe that's an indication that it worked um, they usually have another noun besides dan <laughs> no i you know it's going to be you know we do this leadership academy those that are listening we do this leadership academy called intrepid um which is a you know three month long process in which people get to come and see leadership as uh rc i guess coaching as the context of leadership like full full engagement, like deep, generous listening that provides breakthrough for people. 
And yeah. in the coaches academy, you get to go practice that. You get to practice it in front of other people. You get to watch us do it in real time. It is it is a um, a workshop, a, a linguistic workshop. It's seeing the effect, the both possibility opening and mm-hmm. possibility shutting down effect of lead, of of coaching. Yeah, you know, and and how it affects other people, and what language we use. So I, it it will um it'll give people a view too. Those that are looking to take their leadership to the next level, which is which is routinely, at least for people we work with, around the art of articulation, mm. um, not around having more passion or having more insight or having more intellect, because everybody we work with hits those marks really quickly, but being willing to speak something into existence or being willing to speak something out of existence, that is really what coaches do. And, uh, anyway, so it'll be, it'll be an indicator for those that are interested in actually learning how to take their leadership to the next level via a coaching model. So it'll be give people access to that too. thing. Oh shit. That's what I wanted. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Right on. The thing I think about is one of my favorite questions to ask people is tell me about your favorite concert you've ever been to. And it's a fun question because it just like I, I, it gives me some insight to the person and, and, you know, their tastes and what all of that kind of stuff. But of course, them telling me about it, or I, I've had this experience where I'm telling other people about the, my favorite concert that I've ever been to. And obviously, the telling of it is not as experiential or as transformative as actually experiencing or seeing it. I never get, I never get to experience that because it happened. It's over. And that's the difference here is that we've been talking about it. Now we get to experience it. That's what excites me. Now, those of you that are listening... Here's your call to action. If you want an opportunity to create something new in your life, you have a challenge that you're facing. It can be with a team. It can be with a spouse. That's up to you. But if you have a specific challenge that you're facing and you want to get some coaching around it and you're willing to be a gift to other people in that, bold and brave, there's a link in the description of this episode that you can click on, fill out the form, to be considered to uh, take one of these coaching sessions that will show up on the podcast. So if you want it, go get it. I'm get the it. Spot, the spots will be limited. Uh, we expect there to be a lot of interest in it. And uh, yeah, can't wait to talk to you. Can't wait to hear from you. So shall we dive into shame then? <laughs> it's not too far of a leap. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm already in it. Do we get out of it? At some point, am I? <laughs> yeah. So shame is. Uh, this is a topic I think that comes up so often in my client calls, and um, it comes up so often for me. You know, we were even joking around, Dan. You were searching your computer for a shame document, a shame cycle document, and Adrian and I were both. D- joking that hey i don't need that i'm in it i can just tell you <laughs> yeah I've, i can I've, tell you what i've mapped it out a few times in my own life <laughs> yeah i'll so, just, just uh, i'll describe for you the time between 8 a.m and 9 a.m this morning i was all in it <laughs> so carl Jung said shame is a soul eating emotion and i thought that was an interesting statement about shame when you hear that from carl Jung, what do you think about well first thing i want to do is just like, what do you mean soul? I know what he means by it. Um, so, you know, he, there's a Hebrew definition for soul. And um, 
Jung was aware of it. It, 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 it. There's the external self, like what people know of me, and there's what yep. I know of myself. And so it eats at the private side of me, the side, and it also eats at the external sense of self uh, because it det I detach from those relationships. But internally, I start to undermine, you know, the, the shame undermines my sense of self, my sense of who I am for other people and what's mm. possible with me with other people. It eats away at my own sense of identity in the world and of a myself to myself. So it's a pretty, you know, um, I read um, Kierkegaard says it's the severing. Shame is the severing. It severs us from others. It severs us from God. It severs us from others. And it severs us from our, our sense of self, of who we are. Mm. It's, it's, it's like, it's, a, it's a, an, an isolation. It produces complete and utter isolation. Chad, why don't you read the quote again? Yeah. Shame is a soul-eating emotion. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I uh, my first thought is not unique to this moment. It's how I disagree with the person. Um, so my thought is that first, my first thing that comes up is I typically talk about shame not as an emotion, only because we tend to throw things in the emotional category, which generates a ton of mystery. <laughs> you know, mm. if it's an emotional thing, it's like mysterious and, you know, and it's, 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 um, unpredictable and blah, 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 blah. So I, yeah. I tend to, so I tend to talk about shame as a strategy, yeah. which I think it is. A um, choice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a yeah choice that has payoffs and prices to it. And we'll get to that. Yeah, um, yeah. but that's my first thought with, with, with young, but I, Soul eating, you know, I, I do um, relate to the effect that some, it, it has the occurrence of something gets diminished. Hmm. You know, there's a even just talking to a really close friend this morning, going through a very hard time and going through a hard time because of choices he made, which both makes him look bad and puts him at stake for some of these choices, but then also probably confirms his worst his uh worst fears of himself mm. and called me in the midst of that crisis and so caught up in the shame of the shame which is the environment of his thoughts of it and just felt so deflated so deflated so lacking of possibility and so there is, and, and I can go into in, in plenty of detail on this uh, recording of my own experience with shame. Um, but anyway, but there's there's a there's a deflating nature of shame, and there's a uh, isolating. I think you said Dan as well. Like there's a uh, being sure that that the world isn't safe, being sure that I'm not worth um, oh expressing myself. And so there's a, there's a, there's shame and despair are close. They're like kissing cousins, mm. you know, they come, you know, they yeah. are. Yeah. They're, they're, so anyway, that's, I, I dig, I dig that aspect of what he's talking. Soul eating. There's something really yeah. powerful about that. Yeah. There's a, for me, there's an emptiness just personally. And I don't know if you guys can relate to this is that shame is one of my most, uh, powerful tools for motivation or uh -huh. for production. I would say, 
And uh, I'm just just observing this about myself. I've also I've mentioned on this podcast a couple of times, and you both both of you know very intimately my past with religion, or some might talk about it in terms of a cult. And I know that one of the most powerful tools that a cult has, whether it's a religious cult or a, a company cult or whatever personality um, cult or personality cult cult that shame tends to be one of the most powerful tools they can use to keep loyalty, to maintain loyalty to the mission, to the aim, to the vision of whatever they want from the people. I do this to myself in productivity, and and that's why I bring it. It's really powerful. It's actually really useful. But the problem is, is that there's an emptiness in it for me on the back end, right? So I feel the shame or I motivate by shame, I get the thing done, I do the thing, and at the end, instead of being satisfied or proud or content with what I've created, the shame is still there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's it's an interesting dynamic. It's, you know, of all the, it, it's very closely related to envy. Uh, and I don't want to go into that whole relationship, but what's interesting is that it has a very similar effect and it, it is, it is a deter- It's self judgment. It's self, self condemnation. Right. And so, if I condemn myself, uh, or I've done something that I condemn myself for, then I don't want anyone else to see it. And so, I do everything I can to prevent them from seeing. It. And so, I live out a person, a, a personality, and an identity that is designed to cover what it is I hold against myself. And then, so now I'm not living as an authentic expression of who I am. I guess it's authentic in the sense that it expresses the fear of you seeing who I'm afraid you would see, and therefore you would judge me as harshly as I judge myself. And so in that way, I isolate who I really am from you. And I cannot reach out to you for assistance because certainly you would then see me as I see me and I don't want that. And then if you happen by chance to stumble into what it is I am shaming myself for, then you're going to receive the other, the flip side of the coin, which is contempt. I'm going to attack you with some vehemence, vehemence about, I'm going to drive you from what I don't want exposed and I'll do it with with a, with a passion that you would go, wow, what the... And, and what it'll do is it'll get your attention onto that or onto yourself, not onto what I don't want you to see. So in, it's, it's an incredible force. And um, I, I think of it as a presence. And it certainly has strategy and it has emotion and it has force behind it. And it's interesting. There's a proverb that says, those who worship idols shall put themselves to shame. If you think about it, right, if I look for something to save me and it doesn't, whatever I've invested all my life in, I'm now condemning myself for doing it. So I'm going to feel shameful. That's why addicts and, and you know, I'm, you, hello, the addiction, <laughs> I, you know, what, I'm a recovered addict, hello. a recovered addict. But, but the point is, the drug never saved me. 
didn't see yeah. me from myself, didn't say, didn't make really, I thought it was giving me more confidence, et cetera, was driving people away from me. Yeah. And I, I could see it in the, and when I started to see what it was and I feel shameful about that. So to the degree, so that it's a, just a, it's a, oh, it gives me goosebumps. I just got goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah. Thinking about that drug, that drug or that idol in this context is so many people that we talk with is the, their work. Yeah. Can be that drug and that, that. Yeah. It's anything that I think is going to save me. Could be a, it could be work. It could be a relationship. That's what a codependent mm. relationship is. You know, I, oh, you, you complete me. So now I don't love you. I love what you do for me. And when you don't do it for me any longer, I feel shame because I've invested in you and now you've fallen short. That sounds like a cycle. Yeah, that would be a cycle. <laughs> Not a bicycle either. <laughs> A bicycle. A bicycle. That's more like a unicycle. I can keep that going with whomever I'm with. Yeah. Well, there's so much there to comment on. I mean, just think about the reaction when somebody, have you ever talking to somebody and you say something, go, gosh, is that okay? You okay there? And they go off on you. You're probably touching on something and you're meaning to help. You can see they're in distress. And if, when they see you see their distress, if they're in shame, they're going to drive you away from it Yeah, with contempt. Yeah. yeah. I want to touch on some of the connection points between this conversation and the listeners who naturally probably come to this podcast to think about business. Um, because, you know, so much of so much of the conversations we're having in the business context are really around what people want and the vision they have. And that the, what, what is the kind of the quality of that answer? First off, what's the quality of the conversation they're in about the future and shame can show up in that, in the sense that I'm having a flash to some conversation the last couple of days as an example, I can't pull it out, but the under, well, actually I found it just the conversation I just got out of, and I'll leave this person anonymous, but he's, he just went after something really huge in his career, something that is elite level, and he didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And now he's in a fresh conversation around what are the possibilities for him now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of them look like failure um, to him because it's not the thing that he wanted to go for, that he might not ever have a shot to do it again. And he's actually talking about those the, the future route that's in front of him and the person that he reports to gave him a future route. And he actually doesn't want to do it. And he is under on the call. I was just pointing out how he's understating how much he doesn't want to do the plan B. And plan C is for him to quit this job. And he's not that clear about it. And it's really it's rooted a lot for him in this shame conversation because he's used to being a good soldier and the figurative sense of the word word, like I'm being a good soldier. Reality is he's not standing up for himself and what he really wants for his future with his fiance in his life. And shame is, is insidious like that at times, like it actually steals from possibility because I'm still, I'm still really hard on myself for not doing what either I could have done or what I'm capable of doing. And so a lot of times we end up lowering the bar, lowering the possibility for myself, for my team, for my company, and because it's hooked into this unhad um, 
this uh, what I want to say. Seamus got this treadmill type experience to it. it, it yeah. Let's well, see if I can put words to this. From that vision, because you're you don't want to be exposed. Right on. And, right on. Don't want to be exposed. Vision, the vision's calling you into the light, into the because you got to get vulnerable about what's wanted and needed. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I was just going to say the second example, just to connect some dots for folks to think about how is this? Hold on, is this? A, are we? Is this a, a couple therapists we're talking to now? No, this is actually what's going on in the context around, especially where the team is stuck, and where the conflict is, where there's conflict that's necessary or needed, but people don't show up to it usually because this is going on in the framework because it's so personalized. Um, like the conflict is a, in their mind and in a lot of our minds, I mean, this is a human thing is the conflict is an indicator of my own identity. And I haven't been able to make a distinction between my behavior and who I am. Well, in the business context, multiple times with CEOs who have the idea that being a CEO is to have all the answers and right. not to have the answer, right? An awful frightening thing. And then to have somebody on your team come up with not only the answer, but something you never thought of in that regard. If you're in shame, if you're judging yourself for it, then you're going to be insecure and you're going to actually attack the team member who came up with it because you're going to feel like it'll almost feel like they're trying to undermine you. Right. And, and that might even be the business, the language you put on it when they actually all they're doing is they're committed to the vision and you've conflated the vision with yourself. And yes, and, right. And, and, but that reaction will then sever you from both the vision and your team. And, and then on top of that, when that person leaves, you're going to, and you start to realize it, you're going to then, then of course you're going to have to face that. And if you're not willing to get humble, you're going to have even more resentment towards yourself and, and dis, uh, you're, you're going to lose a lot of confidence. You're, you're going to be very tentative going forward, or you're going to think that you're not a good leader, or you're going to think it's just not something you're up to. Like you're not made for it or some goofy conversation like that. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to, I wanted to try something that we've never done on the podcast with you guys. Is that okay? Let's do it. Sure. Uh, okay. On. So I've got a I've got a clip that I want to share that I found that I think was really interesting because it challenged my perspective or my um, relationship to shame in a couple of ways. I don't want to set it up quite yet, or and I'll talk about it as we go through. But I, I want to play this video. It's it's Dr. Jordan Peterson. Life is not fair; it's what you negotiate. Let me say that one more time. Life is not fair; it's what you negotiate. Now, that's an interesting thought. If that's true, it means that everything you have in life right now, the possessions, the relationships, the fitness, the mindset, are all a product of your negotiations with others and yourself. And if that's true, wouldn't you want to be very clear on how you negotiate? What's effective and what's ineffective? What your strengths are and what your blind spots are? It is, after all producing all the results in your life. So here's the deal. We put together a 15 question quiz that you can take in five minutes or less and find out exactly what your negotiation style is. The results of this quiz will give you insight into your strengths and blind spots in negotiation. 
It will also give you insight in how you can accentuate those strengths or compensate for the blind spots. Think for just one second with me all of the conversations you're having in your life. Think about compensation or advancement conversations with people on your team, discussing financial decisions with a partner, or just getting your kids to get their damn shoes on so that you can leave the house. All of these conversations are negotiations. This simple yet powerful tool has the potential to reinvent the way you get what you want in every aspect of life. Go to negotiation.takenewground.com right now or click the link in the description of this episode and find out what negotiation style you embody. You can thank us later. Now back to the show. Oh, we and can't have him on this show. We can't have him. He's a bigot. It's actually him in the in the, in the flesh, guys. It's, right. it's Jordan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, great. I wish. He lives in, he lives in YouTube, right? That's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, part of this, if you're just listening to the audio of this, part of this video that I really love is it's clearly a very old video of, yeah. of Jordan. And that, uh, what's, got, what's that behind him? Is that like a Commodore? It's like an old computer. Yeah, it's amazing. It's so great. So anyway, I'm, I'm going to push play on this. The video is titled Shame and Shamelessness. And um, if you want to interject, just hold up your hand. I'll stop the video because I'd rather stop the video incremental, in, incrementally and react to it than you know, have all of these thoughts built up at the end of it. Before you go, you know, there's a distinction that we ought to make too, which is... Please. There's a certain level of shame that's healthy. We, we call it guilt, right? If I hurt you, I ought to feel guilty, right? Dan, why are you ruining my video? Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but I, I just, I, there was that's like a whole part that's been left out. I thought before yeah. we get, I'll just totally. Sh- I'll just shut up right now. Would you shut I'm up, just, Dan? I'm totally joking with you. Yeah. It's fantastic. So don't yeah. be ashamed, uh, Dan. Go be ashamed. Give, it's without, yeah, don't be ashamed. I'm ashamed now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's a great, great transition to this video. Here we go. Some researchers see shame as something that is very destructive. The consensus seems to be that it is an emotion that is always destructive. Do you agree with this? No, that's absolutely ridiculous. And only modern psychologists and probably social psychologists would be foolish enough to even dare to posit such something so absolutely absurd. Um, psychopathy and shamelessness are the same thing. Yeah. So shame isn't shame. No emotion is always destructive. Any emotion taken to an extreme can be destructive, just like any value taken to an extreme, you know, made into one thing can be destructive. Yeah. So um, joy can be destructive. I mean, people who are manic are in some sense possessed by a radical excess of positive emotion and they they get incredibly impulsive. And so, and it's terribly destructive. I mean, there's almost no form of insanity that's more destructive than mania. People will go out and spend all their money, all their family's money. And, well, it engage in all sorts of hyper-optimistic interactions with the world. It will result in their complete ruin. So, you know, people think of happiness as an untrammeled positive. Well, if you think of happiness as positive emotion, which is partly true because it's also the absence of negative emotion if you think of happiness as only a good then you have no idea about the pathologies of positive emotion and they're manifold (laughs) and shame it's like if you do something stupid and destructive to yourself 
or to yourself and the broader social community. You should feel shame and you should pay attention to it and you should learn from it. And if you're not capable of doing that, that then people should stay the hell away from you because you're shameless. And of course, for most of Western history, and I don't know enough about other forms of history to also make the same comment, to call someone shameless was a, was a, was a tremendous insult. It meant that they didn't have enough sense to be appalled by their own pathology. And there, that's, that's just not a good thing at all. Yeah. Yep. Guess it started again. So what he's touching on there is Kierkegaard talks about this a lot, that shame is the a form of shame called guilt. He, he defines shame and guilt. He distinguishes them. Shame, guilt is a form of shame, but it has to do with how I've hurt you and I feel guilty or shameful for what I've done to you. Um, the other form of shame is to protect myself. That's the, that's the pernicious side, which is if I don't want you to see who I am, I don't want you to see what I've done, when in fact that would actually help recover me. That would help me recover myself and my stand. My, it would reconcile my relationship with you if I had an authentic relationship to how I've, what I've done to myself or to somebody else. Now and and so you know it's it, it's a powerful. I don't know if you've heard of this guy Bradshaw. I can't remember his first name. He's a psychologist. John, John, John Bradshaw. Bradshaw. He talks. He goes deeply into this dynamic as well. well. Yeah, pretty good stuff. His book is "Healing the Shame That Binds." That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love Jordan. Well, I could play him every time. I just sit here and listen. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it was so it's it was such a good reminder for me, you know, my I went my my arc is, you know, I really the way I related to shame is that it was all bad and I wanted to get rid of it. And then, you know, through a lot of my work with Adrian early on and uh, my continuous work and conversation with you two, which has been such a gift for me in this process of of shame and and relating to it, I've realized no, I can integrate it. I'm not. Ne- I'm really never going to get rid of it. I'm, I can integrate yeah. it. And you don't want to get rid of it. You know, it's right. Of, it's like the '60s. You know, everybody felt like, oh, you, you know, it's just you know, the love generation have sex with anything that moves, and and not worry about the implications both that that has interpersonally or interculturally, and and uh, and if you did, if you had any concerns about what the impacts of that might be on yourself or those that you love somehow you are uptight you were you know you're just shaming everybody when you know which mm. is kind of going where jordan was talking about like shame is always a negative emotion and i i watched a lot of culture and myself as well i bought into that for some time and it just about unraveled my life i you know by the time i was 30 i was on the way to being dead so just i can this this you know I think we all could relate to this at some level where we've yeah. found ourselves too far over on the shameless side. Yeah. yeah. Adrian, well, isn't, isn't that, like a, say- well, there's a, a lot here. Um, I'm just trying to think but, about uh, what, what, go ahead, Dan. I was going to say on the business side, it shows up like not correcting people or not enforcing things that you know are going to be needed. I don't want to be... F- I don't want to look like a micromanager, so I don't enforce something I know that Manage ultimately at is all. going to be yeah. yeah, that's right. And and then I bitch about, I get resentful about 
the lack of discipline on my team. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's so much here. So I, to that point, if I just build on what you're saying, Dan, it's like, I don't want to micromanage. So I actually don't macromanage either. Yeah. And, and there's not, there's not even, there's not a, a real sincere conversation that as we walk this path together as a company, um, our, our number one job for everyone is to, in a healthy way, scrutinize themselves like self-leadership. Like I'm going to be in an on, be in an ongoing, very present conversation about how am I doing? <laughs> and especially in this very precious culture we have these days where any kind of judgment is seen as, um, uh, you know, taking advantage of people or being unfair, blah, 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 any of that. And so like we've, we've talked ourselves out of a core concept behind any kind of transformation, growth, or development, which is actually have to be willing to see what's not working. And sure. it's, it's, we've actually glorified it. Uh, it's worse than that because we've glorified it. We've, we have given ourselves credit for quote unquote, not being hard on people. And I'm a people person, which is usually people that tell me that usually tells me they're lying to everybody because there's things that need to be said and uh, must be said in order to fully advocate for someone. But I, I've given that up. And so now it's just giving people pats on the back, even when what they're doing is destructive to themselves or to the company. So Adrian, you, t- you talk about, um, or you said, see what's not working. And I think, yeah. um, it, to some people listening to this, it's going to be like uh, front page headline news to them that to to you can both see you could both see what's not working and not go into shame about it. Right on. Yeah, because I I know that's where I was. I I, I you know, and, and so that was such a groundbreaking revelation for me. Was that like, oh wait a second, I can I can take a look at what's not working and my contribution to it and not yeah. choose shame around it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well I, this, this risk is, me? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Did you go? Well, I was just going to say, I mean, back to some core principles here that people might be, that might be new to the podcast aren't that familiar with. Um, the reason why that's so Chad is because of the Freudian view of human being like the, they would call it the etiological view because if I am my history and that right. I can't dare, I can't dare own my own breakdown because I am the breakdown. Instead of this teleological view or this Adlerian view, which we really prescribe to, like I am my future, I am what I'm committed to. And if that's so, then I actually want to know what's working and not working because it, it jeopardizes the future I say that I am and that I'm committed to. Yeah, That's right. Yeah, I was going to go to the similar place at the risk of being controversial, when you hear somebody say, well, that triggers me, I'd say, well, good, you ought to investigate the relationship you have to it then. Yeah. If what I said triggers you, then you ought to look at what you're making up about what I said or investigate what I meant. You know, I know that's what I do for myself. If I find myself triggered about something, upset, angry, resentful, I might check in with, I do check in with like, hmm, I wonder what I'm making up about what Chad or Adrian just said or what just transpired. And if it's shameful, usually somebody trying to shame somebody else is living in a great amount of shame. It's like a confession. It's yeah. a confession through projection. Right, right on. So it, 
that that's a big that's usually if somebody's triggered and they want to lay it on me it's a, it's an indication to slow the conversation down and get connected yeah and yeah what, tell me about that this is you know this is this is why i forget in some podcast recently we're talking about you know, the future of leadership and um this is came up for me which is you're talking about how like future leaders um you know the, the leadership that works as we keep developing ourselves in culture and keep developing ourselves as humans the more authentic you can be now that's a what a cliche phrase what i mean is someone is really to own it like owning themselves putting language to the breakdowns like that's those are in my view the the kind of the the uh barrier to entry or whatever for effective leadership moving forward um mm -hmm. is someone that's willing to put language to the challenges we're facing um, and languages, the possibilities that we're facing, like all yeah. that. And, you know, and I know that I know that like nobody, I mean, uh, probably as a commitment, I mean, nobody's really going to shock me. No matter. You could tell me like the worst possible thing and it's not going to like shock me, whatever somebody's done. I know if I'm in a coaching call, I always say them, I'm not in a moralistic conversation at all, which is really, they don't even know what I mean when I say that I have to show it over time. Um, but moralistic, like I'm not listening from a who's right and who's wrong. I mean, these are what humans, we do that naturally. We categorize things and we've done that over time. And it, it's got utility to it, to, to position what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, uh, who's right and who's wrong. We've learned how to do that um, since we were little and that's necessary. But like now as adults, like living in that moralistic framework is actually quite limiting. And they don't believe me when I tell them I don't come from a moralistic framework. Like I always joke, like you could tell me you killed somebody and I'll just ask you, hey, did do you want to get caught or uh, did you bury the body? What did we You need help? You know, anyway, I'm always like, the, I, no, you can't ever shock me. You can't shock me. Um, first off, I'm well acquainted with all the darkness. Like I can I can easily put myself in the shoes of any criminal I've ever met. And I've met a lot of them. Why? Because I know I've got that nature in me and I've got plenty of stories to show it. So I'm, I'm, especially when I'm listening, I'm impervious to all their shame conversations. I just want to hear it. And my point being here is that if we're in that moralistic conversation, like the, 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 the chance of actually befriending reality in a way that I can shift reality goes way down. Yeah. Yeah. On top of it, if I'm not willing to hug that cactus, as you might. Yes. And it's yes. interesting because the, you've mentioned authenticity. So kind of build on that is yeah. to be authentic is to be the most authentic, at least according to Kierkegaard. And I know Jung had used this as well. But authenticity is the, mo the most authentic we can be as a human being is to be authentic about our inauthenticity. And, yeah. And so why is that? Well, if I'm ashamed of my inauthenticity, then I won't embrace it. If I don't embrace it, it never gets integrated into my personality and therefore becomes an enemy. It's something that undermines me and I have no control over it because the more I resist it, the more power it has. The more I embrace it, the more it integrates and I can use it. So for instance, if I'm aware of my own criminality, I'm able to connect with and see a criminal coming down the road where, and, and I can identify whether they're really open to 
transform or they're still, they're perping and I'm just another mark. Yeah. Because I'm not going to be angry about that. That's just natural in that pathology. Right. Yeah. And I know that because I have that in me. I've given myself to that. And, yep. and if I can look into that, then I'm much more, not only can I embrace it with somebody else, but I'm not going to be punitive or moralistic in your terms, you know, in those terms. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the question, what do we do with shame? What, how do we use it for what we say we want, the aims that we say we're about? Uh, whether that's with our team, our company, our marriages, ourselves, you know, all of that sort of stuff. I know for me personally, the way that I've been practicing using shame is that, Adrian, you talk about things being indicator lights, right? Yeah. It's it's an opportunity. It's it's not that, um, it's not that you know, one day I decided not to be shameful, so then it just stopped. <laughs> it's that it re- I can reframe it to an opportunity to be an indicator, like uh, uh, Dan, like what you were talking about, this trigger. Right, it, it is a trigger, and the trigger is wow. Take a look at this. Yeah, it's an ally, not an enemy. That's yeah. right. Yeah, right on. So that's the invitation for me in this conversation. I was so excited to have it with you guys. It did not disappoint. Is that this is an opportunity if you can if you can reframe it that way, if you can see it that way, and uh, I truly believe that I've seen it in my own life. I mean, we that metaphor, hug the cactus, is precisely to develop that ability to have that become. You know, have your the things you think have you have them become yeah. allies. You know, it's just a, it's just a great. It, it, particularly if you're married, you can save yourself a lot of trouble and stress if you can yeah. identify your triggers as allies because they're act- yeah. they're actually telling you there's something wanted and needed that you're afraid to give. At least that's, that's how right. I see it for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, if if someone's committed to vitality which by that I mean to experiencing the fullness of life. Um, Then, you know, this conversation is is highly contributory to that. I I would just say it's one of the key conversations because I think definitely in my experience is that the feeling of vitality, the experience of vitality uh, is always tamped down by the, the... allure of secrecy. So the more things in my life that I'd rather keep to myself and I can't share with others and I tell myself I can't share with others, the possibility of vitality goes down because I know the opposite's true is that if I've got something that I think I want to keep to myself because I'm ashamed about it, I hopefully nobody finds out and I'll keep that in the corner. I'll put that in the closet. I'll, and I've got, you know, if we had another yeah. two hours, I'd give some hypercolored details of my life, which I've done this for seasons, like see, like years of my life. And, um, I know that now whenever I have that hunch, when I have that, like, Oh, I want to hide this thing. When I go bring it to the right people, I'm closer to them afterwards. And I'm closer to myself afterwards. I mean, the, the utilization of shame as an indicator of the conversation I need to have is actually, it, it's an adhesive. It brings me closer to other people. It, it, now, not to everyone, right? So some people, if you shared with them something that's vulnerable, they will use it against you. And so those aren't the people I'm talking about. But so that's the first thing is it allows the possibility of intimacy, which we all want, all like wired into us from the beginning of time. 
um, is intimacy. That's where meaning comes from, um, it, you know, in life in general, because it, because it is the, uh, the, uh, essence of relationships and relationships are what matters at the end of the day. And the other side, why, how do you shame is that the more I'm willing to reveal myself, uh, it actually gives me more power in the sense that if I can own my shit in real time and talk to somebody who might even be an adversary or might even be on the other side of the negotiation table, but if I can share my own insecurities, my own failings, my own um, ways in which I've uh, am untrustworthy, and you know I did something that that can generate some lack of trust with the other person. If I can own that and just stand in that and confess it early and make it the size of deal that it actually is. Because most of the time, if we have shame, we have signified or uh, made significant the impact of the failing instead of like, oh, hey, yeah, I totally did that. And I missed that. And that's on me. And, I, and I, I'm here just to be real with it. And I've integrated it. And here's how I've learned from it. And I've got some eyes for it. And if any time you see me going close to that again, please speak it up. Like, now I've got power. Like, nobody can hold anything against me that I don't hold against myself. Well, you know, we could do another podcast on the racket that shame is. Yes. Because it's an attractive racket as well. Yeah. Especially if you're criminal and you want to stay hidden. It's, yes. It's a phenomenal racket. Yeah. Yes. It's a great hiding hiding no. place. That's um, right. It was my my favorite hiding place for a long, long time. So yep. this is, yeah, so such a great conversation. Thank thank you both. Thank you, Chad. Thank yeah. You, good, good topic. Thank you, man. Yeah, it's wonderful. Thanks. Uh, would you give? Would you thank Jordan too for making it? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Jordan. He's still <laughs> here. He's still on the line. Are you okay? Yeah, he's still trying to get that. He he's hoping, still trying to get that computer to work. Yeah. He, well, he was. He was hoping we'd bring him back in, but I tell him, Nah, man. Uh, we're, uh, I mean, we're on a roll. Get your thoughts we, together, we Jordan. Come back and see us. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> quick reminder at the end of this conversation. You know, we end where we started. Um, if you want to, if you want an opportunity to be coached and are willing to share that gift on the podcast, click the link in this description, fill out the form. We'll be in touch with you. Thanks so much, gentlemen. Gen- gentlemen, love you both. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you. Talk much. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my friends, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. As a heads up, every Friday we post a Cliff Notes version of that week's conversation with all the highlights in under five minutes. Check that out for a quick and powerful reminder of the principles discussed. I hope this conversation has been valuable to you. If it has, the greatest compliment you could pay us is sharing it with somebody who could use it. Thanks so much for listening and until next week, bye-bye everybody.